guessing you've noticed it too. Transfer pricing compliance is more complicated than ever. First, there are the ever-changing documentation requirements. Then there's the search for the perfect comparable. And of course, the pressure to prove a transaction is not only arm's length, but ironclad arm's length. The key to it all, understanding the companies involved and knowing exactly how they do business. There's a method to it, of course. Enter the functional analysis, and that's what we'll be talking about today. Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. Here's where we dive into the transfer pricing nitty-gritty, like conquering the functional analysis. Hold off on those yawns, please. Yes, we mean you. The functional analysis is way more interesting than its joyless name implies. This is the heart of the transfer pricing report, after all. And if you're diligent about this fact-finding mission, you'll be rewarded with a unique view into a multinational company's supply chain. Knowing a company's overall business and each entity's role in it is not only privileged information, but it sets you up for total transfer pricing success. In fact, if you ace an M&E's functional analysis, the rest of the transfer pricing report becomes that much easier. A solid functional analysis will help you determine your tested party, it will lead you to sound comparables and profit level indicators, and help you choose the right methodologies for determining arm's length transactions. That's what Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist Mimi Song is going to do. But before we dive in, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. If you're looking for a relaxed transfer pricing regime, don't look at Bulgaria, at least not anymore. Granted, since 2007, the country offered a, quote, best practice approach to transfer pricing with, quote, rules that were as binding as the New Year's resolutions you blew off by February last year. Well, fast forward to August 2019, when the country passed a bill introducing a real, as in no choice, transfer pricing regime. The new regime, which goes into effect on January 1st, 2020, around the time you'll be buying that gym membership you'll never use, mandates that M&Es submit detailed OECD-approved local and master files. Sure, there are a few exemptions. Companies engaging in only domestic transactions, small and medium-sized enterprises, tax-exempt taxpayers, and anyone who sticks to their business resolutions past March, but most M&Es will have to comply. Naturally, the goal of the documentation is to prove business transactions are at arm's length, and you'll have to prepare the files contemporaneously, be prepared to update financials annually, and refresh the comparability analysis every three years. Sure, the new regs mean more work for you, but the real question is, what do they tell you about Bulgaria's National Revenue Agency, or the NRA. Well, not that NRA. The answer isn't pretty. Clearly, the agency is moving transfer pricing compliance up on its list of priorities. Over the past few years, the NRA has invested in transfer pricing databases and in training tax authorities, and it's hardly a surprise that transfer pricing audits have noticeably increased the number of tax disputes with the NRA. So it looks like this year's New Year's resolution, the one you should keep anyway, is pretty obvious. Audit-proof your business and get those local and master files ready for the Bulgarian tax authority painstaking review. Just when you think there's nothing left to say about taxing the digital economy, developing countries throw in their two cents. In fact, the Intergovernmental Group of 24 on International Monetary Affairs, or G24, a group of now 28 developing countries, including South Africa, Brazil, and Trinidad and Tobago, is the latest to show support for a multilateral solution. On October 17th, after a meeting in Washington, D.C., the group released a statement saying that any tax solution should allow developing countries to benefit the same way other countries 
countries would. Seems fair. As the statement said, digitalization lets companies earn profits in jurisdictions without a physical presence. Well, yeah, the Pope has a balcony. Tell us something we don't know. So what does the G24 want in the end? The same thing the rest of the world is tossing around. A multilateral fix that allocates profits according to the digital users in markets responsible for creating them. The group makes another great point. Tax disputes should be part of the conversation now, so it's part of the solution later. If only there was a podcast for this kind of thing. And not sure if you meet the CBC report thresholds in Hong Kong? You're not alone. In fact, to clear up any confusion, Hong Kong's Inland Revenue Department just published a frequently asked questions guide. Sort of the ask me anything of CBC filing thresholds, but maybe we can clear a few of the questions up right here. Wondering if an M&E's consolidated group revenue exceeds the preceding accounting period's threshold, but not the current, do you still have to file in a word? Yes. Are you unsure if that extraordinary income and gains should be included in the consolidated group threshold. Yup. So long as accounting requires it in your financial statements. Should the share results of associated companies, joint ventures, or partnerships be included in consolidated group revenue? Yes. Again, if the accounting rules require consolidation of the entity into the group's consolidated financial statements. Is it all very complicated? Yes. But you didn't need a guide to tell you that. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai rd. That's xbs.ai rd. So we have with us today Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist Mimi Song. She is no stranger to global supply chains, value chains, income statements, balance sheets, intercompany agreements, comparables, benchmarking. Shall I go on? Absolutely not, Matt. We get it. Okay, then. So I'll say who better to talk us through the art of the functional analysis. And I'm going to hand things off to our executive producer, Marilyn Mitchum-Strom from here. Marilyn. All right, Mimi. So let's start with the very basics. What is a transfer pricing functional analysis? So the functional analysis of any transfer pricing study is is really the heart of the analysis. What it is is it provides a description of the various functions being performed, the risks being assumed, and the assets that are employed with respect to the intercompany transaction. And it's really important that the functional analysis is reflective of the facts and circumstances so that the um, so that the economists performing the study can appropriately apply the uh, the right methods okay so basically you're looking at 
the the function of each entity and the assets and the economic risks that each one is assuming. Now, why would you need to know that? Why is that so important to somebody who's doing a transfer pricing analysis? So the, the, a transfer pricing analysis essentially is based on the facts and circumstances, right? And so in order to do the analysis appropriately, in order to apply the various methods from a transfer pricing perspective, you need to understand what it is that the business is doing, right? It, that, it, it's critically important to understand what the business is doing, who's bearing what levels of risk in order to apply the methods correctly. So we can you know, talk about the application of a CPM, so a comparable profits method where you have to select a certain tested party. And so if you are trying to analyze the arm's length nature of that intercompany transaction and you select one entity as the tested party, essentially what you're going to do is identify companies that are performing similar functions, bearing similar levels of risk, and holding similar levels of assets um, in order to make a apples-to-apples -apples comparison to the extent that we can. You know, we can't control for everything. Right. So this really helps you in your comparison. And this reminds me of um, when Andre was on here, he said that question he often gets is, why aren't my competitors my comparables? And this helps answer that question. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Because... A functional analysis is very specific to the actual intercompany transaction. It doesn't necessarily mean a functional analysis for the whole entity, right? And so you have to look at it specifically on what it is that, you know, the transaction that's being analyzed. Because in a certain situation, this company could be, be a, a major pharmaceutical manufacturing company, but the transaction you might be looking at is a services transaction where the U.S. headquarter company is providing certain services to a subsidiary. And in that case, your functional analysis is focused on those services that are being performed, not necessarily all of the different activities being performed by the manufacturer or the pharmaceutical company, excuse me. Interesting. Well, let's just bring in the big guns for a second and let's ask Fiona what she thinks. Fiona, what does a functional analysis impact in transfer pricing? Just about everything, Mary Lynn. It indicates which entity should be your tested party. It can impact the comparables and the profit level indicators you use. The functional analysis can also have impact restructuring, opars, and adjustments. And I just want to cut in quickly with our first CPE code word, and that word is restructuring, as in the functional analysis can impact restructuring, APAs, and adjustments. Now back to Mary Lynn and Mimi. So one thing we touched upon is with Fiona is that it determines how an entity is characterized. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So why, why do you even need to characterize an entity? Well, I mean, the idea of characterizing them is just so that, at least from an economic perspective or an analysis perspective, you're, you're trying to find like companies. I mean, that's all it is, right? You're just saying, okay, I, now that I've now I understand the functional profile of this company and it's like a distributor and so essentially that means I can do a benchmark analysis for distributors for companies that are comparable. Right. Nice. 
So if you're going to understand an entity's functions, assets, and risks, you kind of need to understand the company as a whole. So what kinds of things do you want to consider? What kinds of things do you want to know? So you, lots of different things. things you you want to know how many people there are in their company. You want to know where that company resides. What are the people actually doing within that company? Um, and, uh, what are the different departments, right? And and what are the different departmental roles? Um, what what might be that company's go to market strategy? What what might be that company's um, reason for being in that particular jurisdiction. So those are all the different types of elements that you want to see because when you're doing a transfer pricing analysis, you know, and you're doing a functional analysis, but you, you, you just need to understand what that company does. And even if you're looking at it on a segmented basis, so going back to my pharmaceutical example, if you're trying to isolate management services, that's called segmenting the entity, right? You're doing a segmented sort of intercompany transaction analysis. Mm -hmm. um, and even in that case, you do want to go down to that level of detail to understand what exactly is being is happening and being performed by each of the different entities, excuse me, employees of that company so that you can really understand, you know, the rationalization from a business perspective of, of why they're doing this. So you get a really unique look at a company this way by breaking it down like this. Absolutely. It's 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 interesting because lots of I'm sure consumers typically look at a company and will say, "Oh, that company does is a company that performs ABC." Right? And so you might take a company like Pepsi and say, "Oh, Pepsi manufactures soda products, right, and lots of different types of beverages. Now, from a transfer pricing perspective, what's really interesting and fascinating is that a company like Pepsi is more than just a soda manufacturer. In fact, they're brand developers. Like, they're, they're sort of um, leaders in sort of this lifestyle brand development and consumer experience beyond that. And in certain situations, Pepsi is actually a really good example because they also have a bottling operation, and so that impacts the entire supply chain, right? So the bottling operation at one point used to be part of Pepsi, like part of, they used to be a related subsidiary, part of their entire supply chain, and they were a vertically integrated organization. And then there were certain business decisions that they made where they actually spun it off, and the bottling company was a completely different third-party unrelated entity. And so then that bottling company bottled products for other companies. And then different business descriptions, economic situations impacted, you know, the, these business decisions, they, they decided to spin it back and bring it back internally, right? <laughs> and re-vertically integrate. So so it's it's fascinating because people don't really know that, that like Pepsi may or may not have any, at any given point in time, bottled their own products. Right. And that's a function. That's a function. That's a function. So let's just ask Fiona for a minute. Fiona, what other types of functions might be used in a functional analysis? That can mean any function that an entity provides in a transaction. There are so many functions. Manufacturing is an obvious one. Distribution is another. But there are plenty more. Design, purchasing, marketing, and so on. 
And I want to cut in just one more time with our second CPE code word, and that word is processes, as in understanding each entity's manufacturing processes is something you want to consider before listing functions, assets, and risks to understand the company as a whole. Now back to Mary Lynn and Mimi. So Mimi, do you want to add any to those that Fiona mentioned? Well, I, I you know, along the lines of my previous example, I think, um, my previous two examples, management services. So you have administrative functions, back office functions. Don't forget the tax function, right? <laughs> the tax and transfer pricing function. Right. Uh, it's very important. Uh, and, you know, in addition, you have bottling, you have assembly, you have design and development, you know, market development, business development. I mean, those are all very important functions to any organization. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. So typically, entities or organizations have more than one function. So how do you uh, show this on a transfer pricing report? How do you show the functions? Is there a chart that you mark off with different types of things that an entity might do? Yep. We, we, we not only have a functional analysis chart, but we also describe that function in more detail, right? Because it's one thing to say, oh, this company does R&D, performs an R&D function. But what does that mean? What is, what is R&D relative to that particular company? So then we have a chart that says, yes, this entity performs that function. And then we have a description that says R&D functions include development of pharmaceutical products, which includes, you know, uh, researching underlying active formulas and, and all that fun chemical chemistry stuff. I did not pass chemistry 101, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I'm in tax. That's okay. We're happy to have you here in tax. Um, so if you're preparing a functional analysis, what questions do you need the company to answer? And the basic question you start off is tell me what your company does. And that's just the basic question you start with because once they start talking about it, then you go into more specifics. Okay, that that's great. Tell me more about that particular aspect of your business. Why do you have that particular type of sales strategy? How does this support your particular business model? You know, do you do anything different in this country versus this country, right? Oh, that's a good one, yeah. yeah. So. so interesting. So how does breaking down the functions then help in terms of your analysis? So we always have to sort of break down what a company does into these components. So as because we're trying to control for them, that's really what it is. And and 
And in order to control for as many factors as you can, you want to look at it in sort of digestible pieces. And in okay. theory, from a transfer pricing perspective, you want to analyze everything on a transactional basis. So sort of going back to this idea of, all right, we have a big pharmaceutical company that provides management services to its subsidiaries. One of the services could be a tax service. One of it could be IT support services. But if we know that those are two different types of services being performed, mm -hmm. well, we might want to do two different benchmarks because a company, a third-party company that performs pr provides IT services, may not, in fact, also provide you know finance or tax services. So you want to break it down into these digestible components where you think you will be able to actually identify third-party companies that are performing similar activities or comparable activities. So you're really putting things under the microscope. That's yeah, absolutely. So interesting. So let's look at assets employed for a minute. What what are assets when we talk about a transfer pricing transaction? So assets can be both tangible assets, fixed assets, and they can also be intangible assets. And you know, tangible assets are easy to identify because it's on your balance sheet, it relates to the PP&E, plant, property, and equipment that you might hold. You know, a manufacturing facility has huge machinery. And so if they have a significant level of machinery, well then, and, and they manufacture goods, that's an important aspect of, of uh, you know, understanding how they operate as an organization, right? Logistics is actually a really good example of that. So in some logistics service, uh, services, they own the ships or the transportation modes of transportation where they get things from point A to point B. And in other cases, they don't own the assets, right? Um. And both business models, they're both logistics services, but they earn very different returns. Like, to be honest, Uber is technically a logistics service, right? Right. And they don't own any of the cars. Yeah. Versus Hertz is a car rental company. They own all the cars, and they're still, it's providing somewhat of a logistic service. So they wouldn't be comparables. They wouldn't be comparable. Like FedEx owns, I think, airplanes that, like, you know, the courier airplanes that actually take the products from point A to point B versus, I actually don't know who doesn't own their own transport carriers, but there are other logistics companies that don't own their own carriers, and that sure. makes a huge impact, mm -hmm. right, to the margins that they are earning. And also how much they're contributing to the transaction. Mm -hmm. So, well, the aspect of assets that we haven't really talked about yet would be intangible assets, and that's a whole other ball of wax when it comes to assets, right? Okay. And something that is not as controllable because by definition, an intangible is is not tangible, <laughs> and therefore, how do you quantify it? How do you know what it's actually worth? And it's worth different things to different companies. Dempy relates to intangible assets, Okay. right? So the idea of Dempy functions, it's development, enhancement, maintenance, protection, and exploitation. Yeah. That's what that acronym stands for. And there's a lot of focus there because in, in certain business uh, situations, they've established a framework where all the IP or the intangibles are owned by a jurisdiction that actually didn't develop the IP. 
right? Okay. And then there, it's owned by a jurisdiction that's not actually the one exploiting the IP or enhancing the IP. And so there's a lot of focus on, you know, what constitutes IP ownership? What is a sufficient level of activities or functions to be performed to constitute IP ownership, both legally and economically? Like, there's a lot of debate around that. So to list that IP as an asset that you're contributing to this transaction? Well, you wouldn't really, a lot of times you would never say that, I'm contributing IP to this transaction per se. So you might analyze a transaction where one party licenses the rights to exploit IP. That's a that's okay. a particular type of transaction. And and usually when we look at IP transactions, we look at them in isolation too because you we want to try to as transfer pricing economists, you want to try to um, analyze things at the lowest level possible. I mean, it, okay. you know, that's always dependent on the availability of data. Um, and both internal and market data. So sure. it's important to take that into consideration before you actually do the analysis. But yeah, IP is typically analyzed individually on a case-by-case okay. basis. So moving on to risks, what are you referring to? This one is always confusing to me. What are you referring to when you talk about risks? So different businesses have different types of risk. I mean, I think the easiest type of risk to talk about, at least between a related party versus third parties, is foreign exchange risk. Because, uh, you know, if I were to buy something in euros versus U.S. dollars, if the exchange rate fluctuates, I could be made worse off or better off, right? So foreign exchange rate risk does have an impact to the intercompany pricing. Um, I think it's important to take that into consideration, sure. right? Uh, I, you know, it's one thing that you can at least try to control for when you look for comparable companies. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's lots of different. There's market risk, operational risk, credit risk. You know, just the typical types of risks that you would be looking at in any business context. And why that's important is in a related party context, you can actually indemnify all the related parties of lots of different types of risks, right? And so if you're actually stripping out the risk, mm -hmm. then ultimately they should earn a profit margin that is in line with that level of risk that they bear. Because the basic tenant of economics is risk equals reward. Right. 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 Makes sense. So once you've identified each entity's functions, the risks they're assuming, and the assets they're contributing, what is the next step? Based on your understanding of the functions, assets, and risks, then we have to evaluate how how we can best analyze the intercompany transactions. So you look at both sides. You, you know, if we're applying a profit-based economic analysis, you'd look at which entity is bearing less risk and, and performing less functions, because that's easier to control for, right? This is all about how are you going to perform an empirical exercise on controllable <laughs> events, right? So, or controllable functions, I should say. And that's really what it boils down to. You're going to look at all of the, all of the different activities being performed in order to um, understand which side of the transaction you want to benchmark from a profit-based analysis perspective. If you are going to apply a different type of method, then you're going to make sure to look for potential cups with the same characteristics that you mm -hmm. identified as a result of the functional analysis. 
And what might some of those characteristics be? So you might be looking at, you know, what are the, once again, what are the, are they holding inventory risk, right? Like, are they actually buying the good mm -hmm. from the related party as a distributor? Or are they purely drop shipping the good to the cu customer as like a sales operation, purely a sales operation? Yeah. Um, are they recording it as, as a, and if they are holding it in their warehouse, for example, and bearing that level of inventory risk that has a direct impact to the type of companies you want to, you want to examine. Right? Okay. And so what do those characterizations tell you? What do they indicate for you? Like, do they indicate, I mean, obviously you mentioned they indicate, you know, which comparables you're going to look at. Do they also um, tell you anything about profit level indicators? So actually, yeah, if we want to bring this, if we want to tie this into profit level indicators, absolutely, because I think the functional analysis and the understanding of the controlled transaction also has an impact to what type of profit level indicator you might want to apply. Um, because you, you want a profit level indicator to actually reflect the facts and circumstances, to actually re reflect the functional profile. So if you're looking at a distributor, evaluating a return on sales is an appropriate level to measure profitability, right? So as opposed to services, usually looking at services as a return on their costs mm -hmm. is an appropriate level of, uh, uh, an appropriate profit level indicator to understand what, what a service provider should earn because the majority of a service provider's um, overhead is, is people costs, is their costs. Right. So. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You you know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. So interesting. So I bet when you look at a company, you see things that other people do not see. Well, I, I try. <laughs> I try. But yeah, I mean, it is, I think transfer pricing is fascinating because you get to learn so many facets of a business and you get to Absolutely. understand the entire value chain and the supply chain. And Absolutely. not a lot of people learn that or see the in, inner workings of an organization. You get all the details. You get all the details. And what it seems like to me is if you take your time and do 
like put a real effort into the functional analysis, then the rest of your transfer pricing report becomes a lot easier. It'll fall into place, right. And that appears to be a solid note to end on. Thanks again to Mimi Song for that transfer pricing insight, but don't let that be the last thing you learn about transfer pricing. Subscribe to The Fiona Show on iTunes or Spotify, and we'll keep you in the transfer pricing know every week. And don't forget our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, hot off the press, where we reveal the latest and greatest transfer pricing headlines. Do we know everything there is to know about transfer pricing let's just say we're getting there and we'll take you with us this podcast was hosted edited and engineered by yours truly matthew Demello. our executive producer marilyn mincham strom writes our scripts what's coming down the transfer pricing pike who knows but we can tell you one thing whatever it is you'll find out about it right here